bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 23rd, 2019. Three years ago this week, the IRS issued temporary regulations concerning Section 50D income. Now, that was an important issue because there was uncertainty, significant uncertainty, among those who worked with historic tax credits and energy investment tax credits and combined them with a pass-through of tax credits to a master tenant through a pass-through lease. The 2016 temporary guidelines gave clarity and went into effect a few months later. Not so coincidentally, we have an update on those regulations later in this podcast. Also this week, I'll talk about negotiations on spending levels and a debt limit increase, with important congressional deadlines looming. I'll also discuss guidance issued last week by the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as the North American Securities Administrators Association, concerning investments and opportunity zones. Then I'll close out this week's podcast with news about a report on the new market tax credit, new legislation, an update from HUD, efforts to get an extension of the investment tax credit, as well as state-level Opportunity Zones news. If you're ready for all of that, let's get started. We have news that was breaking last night about the budget and spending caps negotiations that we've been talking about for the past few weeks, really the last few months. President Trump announced, guess where, on Twitter, that Congress and the White House reached an agreement on a two-year deal on discretionary spending levels and a debt limit suspension. There is also an agreement on a two-year debt ceiling increase. Now, this is a significant development. Just a few weeks earlier, there was widespread expectation that these agreements wouldn't happen until after Congress returned from its August recess. That was because Treasury was expected to be able to employ extraordinary measures to avoid breaching the debt limit until late September or October. However, as we did discuss last week, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin reported that Treasury might breach the debt limit before Congress returned in September, which started the ball rolling. Now, the details of the agreement aren't public yet, or at least as I'm recording this podcast. However, the agreement reportedly includes an increase in top-line spending numbers for both defense and non-defense spending for the 2020 and 2021 fiscal years. Specifically, the defense spending cap for 2020 would be $738 billion and the 2021 cap would be $740.5 billion. Now, the non-defense spending cap for 2020 would be $632 billion, and the 2021 cap would be $634.5 billion. Those amounts represent a 3.1% increase in defense spending and a 4.5% increase in non-defense spending from 2019 levels. For some context, the non-defense cap increase of 4.5% is less than what the House has been writing, been using, I should say, to write its 2020 spending bills. The House 2020 T-HUD spending bill provides HUD a roughly 7% increase, which likely means the final T-HUD bill will be less than what the House has provided to date. Now, the agreement suspends the debt limit until July 31st, 2021. That's well after the 2020 elections. Now, some details still are not public. One of the issues is the issue of offsets. Now, when Congress last passed a two-year budget deal with the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, only $38 billion of about $300 billion in spending cap increases for both fiscal year 2018 and 19 were offset. Now, the House leadership and the White House reportedly agreed 
to increase the amount of the offset to spending cap increases to $77 billion. But they have reportedly not agreed to what those offsets will be, which is obviously crucial to any deal. According to Politico, many of the administration's original proposed offsets were, quote, non-starters with the House representatives. The other key issue is the House request for $22 billion in Veterans Administration healthcare spending outside the proposed non-defense spending caps. Now, if there is agreement on these issues, there's a slim possibility that tax provisions may be added to the legislation, possibly including tax extenders. Now, that could include the new market tax credit, as well as the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit, the Section 45L Credit for Energy Efficient Multifamily and Single-Family Homes, as well as the Section 179D Deduction for Energy Efficient Commercial and Multifamily Buildings. Now, again, we don't know about that yet, and there's been no reporting that extenders are included. And a reminder that while raising the debt limit and increasing the spending caps are connected, they are two separate and distinct issues. The debt limit increase will allow Treasury to continue to operate, to continue to borrow to fund the federal government. The spending caps must be raised or else there will be more than $120 billion in draconian cuts to defense and non-defense spending from their fiscal year 2019 levels when they pass a budget for 2020. Now, there's a possibility that something could go wrong and the entire package won't sell through, in which case there'll be pressure to raise the debt ceiling. That's because, as I noted earlier, Treasury could run out of money before Congress returns from its August recess in September. Now, if Congress and the administration agree to the offsets and the VA healthcare spending in the debt limit and spending cap deal, then the plan for now is for the House and Senate to vote on the agreements this week. Now, this week is the final week before the House is scheduled to begin its August break this Friday. The Senate is scheduled to meet through the following Friday, August 2nd. This is a crucial time for supporters of expired and expiring tax provisions, as well as the minimum 4% for the long funding tax credit, because the debt ceiling spending cap deal is likely to be one of the few must-pass bills of the year. And as we said before, must-pass legislation is traditionally the best vehicle for tax provisions. Now, if tax provisions are added to the deal, it'll be crucial to reach out to your congressional delegation to ask them to reach out to leadership on adding the new markets tax credit, production tax credit, energy efficiency incentives, and the 4% floor to the legislation. And even if tax provisions are not added to the deal, it's important for leadership to hear from members that community development tax credits are priority so that there's a better chance of them being added to the next must-pass bill. I'll keep you posted on Twitter. As you know, my handle is at Novogratic. Now let's turn to Opportunity Zones. The Securities and Exchange Commission and the North American Securities Administrators Association issued a statement last week concerning Opportunity Zones investments. The agencies oversee investment regulations and compliance in the United States. The joint statement explained how state and federal security laws apply to qualified opportunity funds. The statement also provided guidance for so-called Main Street investors to participate in the Opportunity Zones incentive. Now, here are the top-level issues addressed by the SEC and the NASAA. Investments in qualified opportunity funds generally fit the definition of securities, which means the funds must comply with applicable regulations. Investors can invest in opportunity zones in a manner compliant with existing securities laws. Main Street investors, by which they mean individual investors, in a contrast to so-called Wall Street investors, have a more difficult path, particularly if they live in the opportunity zones in which the investments are made. 
Now, in a statement by SEC Chairman Jay Clayton, he called for an effort to reduce the complexity of the path for Main Street investors to participate in the Opportunity Zones incentive. The Qualified Opportunity Fund investors should assume registration with the SEC is required unless they are confident an exemption applies to their investment. Now, there are some exemptions. Proper structuring of the Qualified Opportunity Fund may avoid the fund having to register as an investment company with the SEC. For example, under Regulation D, known as Reg D, transactions not involving a public offering may need not be registered with the SEC. In that case, the investor must still file a Reg D disclosure with the SEC and state laws may still apply. Now, the statement addresses whether a Qualified Opportunity Fund, or a QOF, QOF, is considered an investment company. Now, an investment company is defined as a corporation, partnership, LLC, or business trust engaged in the business of investing pooled capital of investors in financial securities. One exclusion from the definition of investment company is the Section 3C1, exception for private investor funds. Private investor funds are outstanding securities owned by less than 100 persons and where there is no public offering. Now, a second exclusion from the definition of investment company is a Section 3C7 exception for qualified purchaser funds. That's when there is not a public offering and the securities are owned by qualified purchasers as defined in the Act. This statement also clarifies whether an advisor to a QAF is subject to the Advisor Act or similar state laws. The statement and other documents from the SEC and the NASAA are in today's show notes. And I'd recommend that you contact your own securities law advisor or attorney for guidance with respect to any clarification you need with respect to these rules. In historic tax credit news, the IRS issued final regulations last week concerning the income inclusion rules under Section 50D. The regulations focus on the lessee of an investment credit property when the lessor elects to pass the tax credits through to the lessee. The final regulations mirror the temporary regulations that were posted nearly three years ago to the day. As a side note, temporary regulations only are in effect for three years, so it's not a coincidence that they were finalized nearly three years from when they were released. Now, those temporary regulations ended a period of uncertainty over how to handle Section 50D income. That was partly because Revenue Procedure 2014-12, which provided a safe harbor for start tax credit transactions, was silent on Section 50D income. The final regulations provide that Section 50D income is a partner item and not a partnership item, and Section 50D income does not increase an investor's basis in its partnership interest. Under the final regulations, Section 50D income being a partner item means a partnership doesn't allocate the 50D income among its partners, and instead the 50D income is reported by the ultimate tax credit claimant. These regulations apply to investment credit property placed in service after September 18, 2016, which was the applicability date of the temporary regulations. In the same final rule, the IRS asked for comments on whether additional guidance is needed to coordinate recapture of the store tax credit after changes made by tax reform legislation at the end of 2017. That legislation, you will recall, required the historic tax credit to be taken radically over five years. Now, if you have questions about your historic tax credit property, or even your renewable energy investment tax credit property, call a Novogratic partner near you. You can filter partners by tax credit specialty at www.novogratic.com partners. In other news, the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition last week released its annual progress report based on a survey of community development entities. This year's report featured feedback from more than 70 CDEs about their activity in 2018. 
According to the report, those surveyed used $3.2 billion in allocation authority to finance 286 developments with $61 billion in aggregate investment. That is a huge multiplier. The coalition report also said the new markets tax credit created more than 58,000 jobs in 2018. Now, there's a link to the report in today's show notes, and I'll also tweet a link to it from my Twitter account. In other community development news, 10 members of the House introduced a bill to increase investment in underserved communities and Indian country. The ADVANCE Act of 2019 would require the CDFI Fund to create an outreach program for underserved communities. The bill would also essentially require at least one CDE with a focus on Indian country receive a new Marcus tax allocation in each round. In affordable housing news, HUD published a new chapter for its Housing Choice Voucher Guidebook last week. HUD is doing an ongoing incremental update to the guidebook, and this chapter is on payment standards. And in renewable energy news, nearly 1,000 solar companies sent a letter to Congress asking for an extension of the investment tax credit. The Solar Energy Industries Association led the effort, which also included a request for Congress to extend the Section 25D credit for residential energy-efficient property. The Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit begins a phase-down next year, dropping from the current 30% to 10% beginning in 2022. There's a link to the letter in today's show notes. I'll also tweet it out as well. And finally, in state-level news, Pennsylvania's tax code now conforms to the Federal Internal Revenue Code when it comes to Opportunity Zones investments. That language was included in a bill signed by Governor Tom Wolf. The change begins for tax years that start after December 31, 2019. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. Are there any tax credit topics you'd like to see covered in a future episode of Tax Credit Tuesday? If so, let me know by filling out our Tax Credit Tuesday podcast topic suggestion form. I'll post a link in today's show notes and on Twitter. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.